So during my first year of rabbinical school, I realized a years-long dream. I opened a restaurant. After six years working as a chef, I entered rabbinical school thinking that I would never professionally set foot inside a restaurant kitchen. Again, I thought that that world was behind me. But as time went on, I felt this really strong pull back to that life, back to a really long prep shift on my feet, back to the stove, back to the tight quarters and the camaraderie that comes with the complicated dance of a dinner service in a nice restaurant. So I called up a few of my friends, our rabbi, and together, we opened a one-night-only, kosher-for-Passover pop-up restaurant inside a synagogue social hall in Hyde Park on the south side of Chicago during my spring break, Passover. <laughs> and as I'm walking through the sold-out dining room after serving the main course, a woman who I'd never met before waved me over. And as it turns out, she actually drove quite a ways to get there, about an hour from a far northern suburb. And she just sort of like, gushed at me when I got to her seat. And she's like, this is so good, and I love the food, and these people are so friendly, and someone's telling me at the table that you're a rabbi, so like, what direction is your career going, and how do these things meet for you? And, and most importantly, like, are you doing this again? <laughs> because you're combining two of my favorite things, great cuisine and Jewish culture. And without blinking, I told her, here's my card. Stay in touch. Of course, we're doing more of these. This is a part of my rabbinate. Fancy restaurant meals became, in that moment, a part of my rabbinate. <laughs> and until that precise second when I said those words, I never thought that that would be true. I thought the opposite. This was my last hurrah. This was the night that I was going to get the restaurant bug out of my system, that I could pack up my knives and fold up my apron, walk out of that synagogue, go back to New York and the seminary, satisfied and sort of emotionally ready, finally, a year in, to like really go become a rabbi. So as I said this to her, and I definitely promised that we would be doing more of these things, and we have, I'm walking back to the kitchen with my head just spinning. How is that even possible that this is now part of my rabbinate? Cooking? Like specifically food. Until that point, I had made many parallels in my mind between the rabbinate and restaurants, but they were always reserved to the level of metaphor, and they always had to do with service and hospitality, experiences, never about food specifically, but the way that this dinner guest of mine at Table 3 talked about it when she said specifically great food, great cuisine in Jewish culture, something about the physical stuff that was in front of her seemed to be the most important, and I guess it was for me too, without realizing it. So like a good rabbi, I was trying to reflect on what I had just told this new community member of mine, but I also had lots of flourless chocolate cake to serve. So <laughs> we laid down all the plates, and we put down all the pieces of cake, and we put the ice cream, and we dusted it with espresso powder and cocoa powder, and I started, I told my friends, just get the plates back into the dining room as quickly as possible. I was trying to buy myself as much time as I could to stay in the kitchen by myself and understand when that night was I cooking like a chef, and when did I apparently start cooking like a rabbi? And how substantive was that rabbi? Was he sort of fudgy and like very real, like the cake, or was he more like the espresso powder, this sort of ethereal, fleeting dusting of a garnish barely cloaking his food in Torah? 
Well, the ice cream was melting, so I didn't really have an answer. <laughs> and I didn't have much choice. I walked back into the dining room, and I looked out at the sea of people with these plates in my hands. And when I think back on it, I still, like, as clear as they feel, the buffeting air from the kitchen door swinging open and closed behind me. And that dull sort of swoosh that it makes when it crosses the door frame. And two thoughts came to my head very clearly in that moment. One I knew very well from my time working in restaurants. Even after my best night's cooking in downtown Chicago, I'd ask myself, was it good enough? Was the meal worth the price? And the other I knew from Ni'ila, the final service of Yom Kippur, when ostensibly the gates of heaven are closing and our book of life is signed and sealed. And I ask myself, was I good enough? Did I make a difference? And it occurred to me that the gates were closing on my dream. I had given myself a one-night-only timeline to do this restaurant thing. And I'm looking at the plates, and I'm thinking about my dinner guest. And I realized in that moment that there was a new doorway that I was just, just then seeing for the first time into Jewish life and practice that I'd never seen before. And when I dropped those last two plates off, those final seats, I just didn't want to let go. I didn't want to let go of the dream. And I didn't want to let go of whatever it was I was beginning to see that could become maybe a meaningful, not just rabbinate, but Jewish practice, a doorway into Jewish life that's substantive, like the cake, and delicious, like everything that we served that night. So I walked around the dining room, and I was just trying to spend as little, just a smidgen more time with every guest that I could to give them something more than just food to leave that night with. Whatever that was, community, a sense of just being seen, maybe Torah, it was probably different for everyone in the room. And I was also in that moment trying to extend that gate closing, really like fighting against this momentum of time that I'd set up for myself to expand also, I think, who I was, to allow chef to include rabbi for the first time, and for rabbi to include chef. In other words, to allow myself to not be so fragmented anymore and to really become more whole. Because cooking requires our whole body. Every sense that's at our disposal, we use in experiencing food from its raw form until a dish is completed and we're ready to eat it. That spectrum of things became for me, the foundations of a Jewish practice that's whole-bodied and multi-sensory, very rich and very moving. I want to just make something very clear. This is available to you even if you're not a rabbi who can see sort of the parallels in the texts. And this is also available to you if you didn't go to culinary school. <laughs> it's for you if you want it. There's a lot of precedents. Before the rabbis, before the temple, before the priests, worshiping God, celebrating and affirming who we are as Jewish people started with a meal. In the moments leading up to the Exodus even, the most fragile, earliest kernels of our sense of peoplehood, the Israelites are commanded to gather close with one another, slaughter sheep, roast them, and eat them like kings. My guest at table three might call that great cuisine and Jewish culture. I'm pretty sure that that is the beginning of a profoundly strong religious identity. And I think that if we continue 
to relegate the physical, the sensory, to the level of culture, and only allow the intellect and sort of the spiritual, the metaphysical, to remain on the level of religious, then we've set up a false dichotomy that's going to fail us. We have to, I think we are responsible, all of us, to make room in Judaism for all of our bodies and for all of our bodies. And if you're the kind of person who has a good spark lit when they sit with a chavruta, a learning partner in a Beit Midrash, a house of study with a page of Talmud in front of you, and that really, really inspires you, that's wonderful. And if you're a lucky person who has a really strong prayer life, the Jewish world is made for you. But if you're not one of those people, where else are you gonna go? And if you're bored with the two things that do work for you and you think that that's all Judaism has, where are you gonna go? I invite you to walk into your kitchen. Look around at your pantry. Look around at your kitchen tools, your pots and pans, your gadgets, the things you got on your wedding registry that you never use. Ask yourself, what's Jewish about these things? What can you do that's Jewish with these things? Eventually, I think, if you were to go back and open a chumash, book of five books of Moses, the Torah, whatever you want to call it, you might not be interested anymore in learning it for law. Maybe you'll start looking for recipes. And eventually, the things that you make, the food that you put on the plates, can become those prayers. They can become the Torah that you seek to study. And it might just thrill you, might leave you a little more whole, and I'm certain will leave you a lot more full. Thank you.